The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit looking for a place to put your stuff and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 353 with guest panelists Glenn Block, Steve Lasker, and Tim Huckabee, recorded live at TechEd, Tuesday, June 3rd, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD DNR TV style order your copy now at www.franklins.net support is also provided by Telerik combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first class customer service online at www.telerik.com and by Data Dynamics Makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says... One tequila, two tequila, three tequila, floor. Carl Franklin. In my living room. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Yes, it is a sad day because George Carlin is dead, my friends. Ah, you know. He wasn't a young man, but he was an angry man. He was definitely a surly fellow, but... He, he was getting angrier, too. He was. His last HBO special was really, really mad. He was very pointed. He was a... An angry old man. He just, yeah. Anyway, um, he will be missed. He but definitely fortunately, will be. he left us hundreds of hours of video to remember him by. One of my favorites was the uh, difference between baseball and football. He says, in football, you get a touchdown. In baseball, you're going home. You're safe. <laughs> safe at home. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, what a great guy. We will be missed. Well, Richard, let's just get into Better Know Framework. All right, sir, what do you got? I am, you know, we're doing Back to Basics here on .NET Rocks. Yes, sir. And I really wanted to cover this fundamental, fundamental piece of uh, .NET programming, which is the difference between value types and reference types. Oh, okay. Most of what we know of programming objects is reference types. That is... We create, oh, I don't know, a customer object. And when we create a variable that points to that customer object, that is a reference. If we make a copy 
of that, in other words, create another variable and assign it to the first one, right? we're not making a copy of the data and the code that's around that object. We are merely making a copy of a pointer to that object. That's a reference type. And I like to think of them like shortcuts on the desktop. You know, you have a, your shortcuts in Windows. Right. Where you, you've got, like, say, a text file. Let's say we've got a text file on the C drive somewhere in my documents or something. And you create a shortcut to that. You can copy that shortcut and make as many copies as you want, but you're not going to make a copy of the text file. No. But if you did a cut and paste, if that text file was a value type, that would be uh, a copy, right? Value types, when you copy them, actually copies the data. That's the difference between a value type and a reference type. Right. So numerics, integers, uh, enumerations, uh, structures are also value types. So uh, a string is a kind of a hybrid value type and reference type. It's, it's, it's really a reference type that thinks it's a value, a value type. It's an immutable reference type. So uh, just remember that, that when you're dealing with lightweight things like integers, numbers, structures, enumerations, characters, you're dealing with value types. When you make copies of them, you actually do copy the data. Right. Everything else, think of it like a shortcut on your desktop. That's better no framework for today. Richard, what you got for me? I got a classic email, actually. Classic? And totally tied into today's show. Let me read it to you. Which, by the way, we know it's a day late. Sorry about that. Hey, it's summer. The weather's beautiful out here. What can we say? We're slacking. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, I was an attendee at TechEd last week and just wanted to write you a quick note. I don't recall whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday. It was about 11.30 a.m. and I was on my way to get an early lunch so I could finish in time for the start of Speaker Idol. Mm. I noticed that you were on stage with your acoustic guitar, so I stopped by to check that out. To my surprise, you started things off with Eyes of the World. As a longtime deadhead, I greatly appreciated this and thought your rendition was great. I have never heard the song played acoustically before and thought you did a great job. Dude, you've got some decent vocal chops, too. Hey. I only wish you had played a little solo in there somewhere. Well, you know, it's hard to solo when you're the only instrument. <laughs> it's all solo. <laughs> anyway, just wanted to drop you guys a line, give you some props, and thanks to you and Richard for .NET Rocks. It's been very entertaining and educational to me over the years. Michael Johnson from Des Moines, Iowa. Thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure to get email from people who enjoy my music, the musical Carl. Well, and you did this great thing before Speaker Idol, all that Tech Ed Dev Week, where you'd play for a half hour or so beforehand. Yeah, it was fun. And I uh, sort of brought the crowd in, warmed the place up. It was a lot of fun. I think I'll do some more of that. We missed you the next week, I'll tell you. I missed being there, too. It's that was. There's nothing like, if you can do this, folks, there's nothing like just plugging in a microphone. It was like at the end of the day once. Remember yeah. that at the end of the day? Like yes. everybody's just ready to go home. And we just crank it up and the whole center can hear it. Like people in the far corner are like going, huh, what was that? You know, what's going on over there? What's going on over there? That was, a, that was just so much fun. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Uh, what else we got going on, Richard? Um, the folks down at Infusion are still oh, yes. still looking for a few good people to do the New York tour. If you the want. New York tour, yeah. If you if you're uh, you want an excuse to see the world, to go to the Big Apple for a year. Hey, talk about how about this, man? You don't have to pay rent for a year. You get to live in Manhattan. No gas prices. 
because it's Manhattan. You're not yeah, going to drive, drive a car. Don't drive in Manhattan. You take a cab or you take the subway. Or you walk or get a Segway or something. I mean, it's Manhattan. <laughs> Come on. Plus, you get to hang around with the likes of Nick Landry and Stephen Forte and Andrew Brust and all of those guys that are down there. So, Oh, the New York software development community is serious. There's a big, busy place. And you're only two hours from Pop Studios. So if you want to come up here and bug us while we're doing shows, hey, come on up. Come so, on up. So if you want some more uh, information on that, you want to go to shrinkster.com slash KH6. So while we were at TechEd, we recorded a panel discussion on the state of the smart client. And let's uh, go ahead and roll that discussion now. Welcome to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell live at the TechEd online stage. And I'm turning around to look at the sign because the name changed since last year. Yeah, yeah it was Virtual TechEd last virtual year. Virtual TechEd. TechEd online, yeah. Well, we are here uh, with a panel of uh, guests. It's an early morning panel after a late night <laughs> session. I've already done a session today. Oh, yeah. No, I've already been in a bar for, you know, I'm, I'm working. I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, I know what's wrong with me. So why don't we just let our guests introduce themselves and introduce the topic? Start to the left, Mr. Block. Mr. Block. Hello, everyone. I'm Glenn Block. I'm the product planner in the Patterns and Practices team that uh, drives the Smart Client Software Factory, Web Client, and the rest of the client program. I'm Steve Lasker. I work uh, program manager at Microsoft. I work on uh, SQL Server Compact and our occasionally connected systems initiatives, such as the Sync Framework, Sync Services for Radio.net, and our other client efforts. And I'm Tim Huckabee from Internology. And you all know that I've been fighting the smart client jihad for many, many years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fighting the for the user's jihad. ability to get work done. There for we go. Simple solution architecture. Well, and I think that's really what we wanted to do with the panel today was to say, so where are we now with the smart client and, and where are we headed? And uh, and, it, and it's, I think I got a good mix here because obviously Glenn is very focused on smart, on the client, the smart client versus factory. I think we've got to talk about that a little bit. And Steve, my last minute addition, I mean, what's cool is that the whole I mean, occasionally or often disconnected model, <laughs> frequently disconnected model, damn, disconnected again model, <laughs> is a smart client problem, right? I mean, yeah. that's the only... Cause, once web's disconnected, it ain't web no more. There's not much to do there. Yeah, not a whole know. lot of disconnect and, going on. And my question, that's Richard's question, my question is, is Ajax winning? I mean, it, it seems like everybody's doing web stuff. Yeah, I, everybody. I can I jump in, boys? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a winning thing. I, I, don't, I don't think one Well, you just wins. use the word jihad. Well, I think it, yeah, you're be we're, fighting we're having... Yeah, it was about the users. So let me explain myself. I, I, think, <laughs> I think what I'm finding, I think what these guys, the problem they're solving is simple solution architecture. There is times for Ajax, the broad reach. Uh, there are times where if you're inside the firewall doing an ASP.NET app does not make sense. Would you not agree, boys? I've used more than a few apps, uh, including ones internally at Microsoft, that I think should not have been web apps because it didn't deliver the optimal experience. But I mean, Ajax certainly has improved. Ajax has certainly moved the bar a bit and sure. said that, hey, there are apps that you would never want to be web apps that you can now actually envision as web apps. But I think depending on the kind of applications you're building, if they're high transactional, like stock trader, we deal with a lot of financial organizations that are building stock trader applications. I, I don't see the time yet 
where you know I don't see any time soon that those kind of apps are going to be built in Ajax. Possibly if I'm a customer, I'm a consumer, and I'm observing my portfolio, maybe that can be an Ajax-style application. But if I'm a stock trader and I'm dealing with lots of real-time transactions, Ajax just isn't going to do it. Cut it. I, I think it's just more a matter of pain versus gain. Right. Uh, I mean, everybody loves the interactivity of a smart client. And there's a reason why Office is so productive and people like it so much. That's a good point. The problem is, how do you get this software on the machine? And the reality is, unless it's really painful or very critical to the business, such as stock trading apps, is that it's not worth the effort and it's good enough to be able to settle for Ajax because what Ajax is doing is delivering rich client functionality to a browser but doesn't require any deployment capabilities that are problematic. It's more than the UI. It's where the data is, right? Uh, I, I think, personally, and I know I'm a Microsoft regional actor, but I think the whole Outlook idea is outdated. The put it, putting your email, you know, all of your data on the client. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I just think that doesn't make sense. And, because and of what? Do be, you think that because it's is ubiquitous? All, because all that data is there only locked down to that machine, that laptop or whatever, oh. and you can't access it from anywhere else. But that, out, ah. I mean, that Outlook model is not the real Outlook model. The real Outlook model yeah. has an exchange server behind it, and the that mail not the, is on the server. Right. All, all right, maybe the, the mail client, let's not use the word Outlook. Yeah. The mail client where all the data is on the machine is a bad idea. That I'll agree with you. Yeah. So yeah. I think no the idea of standalone true. apps that live on an island... Where the data is locked. Where the data is locked machine. to that island. Yeah. That, that right. has got dating to it. It always has. It's, yeah. it's, the problem is, is, well, it's only for me that's good enough. But even for me, I don't want to necessarily have one device. I might have a, lap, a desktop at the office, right. a laptop at home, or whatever. But I, I, and I, I want to have that, that data functionality. Are we really at a point now where the average client, the average customer now, has more than one computing device? And so... You just simply cannot afford to have anything fixed to that machine anymore because you're always on multiple machines. Right. I I think what you want is the ability to have a a certain amount of local data, reference data that's cached, which regardless of which device I'm on. Now, some of those devices may not have that capability. I mean, mobile devices are improving dramatically and have more having more of that capability. But maybe I'm going through a device that's just browser-based. So I think there's one aspect of just putting the data locally to improve the experience. It's not so much about restricting it to be local. And I think in a lot of cases, when we look at things like sync services, that's one of the scenarios is I've got reference data that, you know, as soon as it changes at some frequency, I want to push that down to my boss. Uh, but you know, you said the cache is a really important thing, but if it, it, it's going to take me five minutes or some, so many minutes to cache that data down when I'm on another machine, you know, like, I just want to be able to walk up to a, a machine here at TechEd, log in, and get everything that I have, and... You know. Well, but if you look at the way, I mean, so we're, you know, making evolutions with some of the technologies that we ship with sync services and the yeah. sync framework and so forth. But if you look at the way Outlook works, you know, in the sense of you know, a client, I could walk up to another machine and as soon as I come into it, it starts trickling in the mail that's syncing. So I don't have to wait for my entire inbox to sync. I could actually start getting and I can start working right away. Now, what's interesting is I go to you know, a web page, and you know, today these technologies are evolving, right? I think there's highs and lows in, in, in the technologies today. Today, when I go, wake up and I get to my machine, I can get to OWA, and I can get to that faster, I can see that mail. But the reality is when I get to the message three, it starts getting pretty unproductive. Um, with Outlook, there's still a little bit of a latency that they're working on to speed up that time. But... For the quick, you know, the, the quick experience, yeah, when I'm trying to actually get something done, it's pretty frustrating. 
Um, but I will say that Outlook, OWA, is probably one of the best Ajax apps out there. Well, I think uh, one could argue that OWA the ultimate, yeah. the ultimate Ajax. Yeah. Well, the OWA arguably is what made Ajax. web clients so potent. Yeah, absolutely. No this was the thing that everybody had. It was widely distributed. Everybody had it, and all these CTOs were pointing to the developers go, how come you can't do this? But not everybody has it. You only have it if you have Exchange. I'd like to see it opened up for everybody. Maybe to be fair, we should get off of the ma- whole mail client as a as a smart client uh, example, because really, when we're talking about smart clients, we are talking about business applications where the data is in some sort of central location. But we hit on something that's important, which is I think if you're going to do offline clients, how that data is brought down asynchronously, yes. and the threading and you know the responsiveness is really what I care about. Yeah, right? Right. It doesn't matter really how long it takes. As long as the data is optimized to get me the things I need immediately, right. the quickest, right. and it doesn't lock up my UI, and I have to say, unfortunately, sometimes you know um, some of the apps that we have don't have that experience, yeah. and you kind of yeah. boot up your machine, go get a cup of coffee, come back, oh, it's right. doing something else, and well, and part of that too is, you know, that that experience can be hampered. Like for example, with Outlook, you know, let's say you add a lot of rules, yeah, local client rules. So it might be that just getting the data is not really an issue, but you're doing something else. But to the user, they don't know the difference. No. I mean, just like when they use Vista, for example, and they have a driver and there's a failure, and it might be a failure related to the driver. It's not related to Vista inherently. Yes. Mm-hmm. They don't know the difference. No, no. I mean, people just complain that it doesn't work right. I think it's incredibly challenging to build an app that's tolerant of an inconsistent network connection. Yes. That's a very tough problem. Uh, and... I think people expect the web app to perform badly in that scenario. The expectations is a better so yeah. right. But if they don't expect that on a smart client app, I think that's one right. of the reasons you know the Outlook team, and I don't want to pick on them, but <laughs> they take a beating for something that we just naturally expect to happen on the web. Yeah. But it, I think that the, the, the loosely connect and who there was a great quote that said it, it was easier to put internet everywhere than it was to actually build a good disconnected client. Well, yes. I think it's also, if you look at uh, the challenge, I mean, why are why are companies, you know, Tim brought up a good point, why are companies using ASP.NET inside the firewall? Uh, deployment. Deployment. Yeah, yeah, they're afraid of deployment. Right. Uh, it's just, it's too risky. It's, it's too problematic. Um, we go through this with our product. So with SQL Server Compact, we support private deployment. We're trying right. to make sure that that shouldn't be a barrier. But we're constantly fighting, well, what was installed centrally? The amount yep. of churn we're going through to make sure that if the private deployment version is newer than the one it's centrally deployed, that should get loaded. Yeah. A- and that is a very problematic problem. You know, by the time you installed application three on your machine. One of the interesting aspects related to offline is not just about, you know, whether or not you pull data locally or not, but it's generally what kind of interactions do you have with the server? Right. For example, can I directly go to the server at all? And I know Steve and I have had a lot of discussions about this. Or do I just pull all the data down? Right. And in Outlook, that works. But, for example, when I'm dealing with a line of business app with a lot of real-time data, I have to, you know, if I'm going to be doing any kind of caching, I need to make sure that the data I need is there in a timely manner. Yeah. Right. And sometimes you're working in mission-critical environments where there's like, like I gave an example of a company I worked in where we did, uh, you know, we were a production shop. So we had lots of jobs that were changing real time. And we had an automated tracking system throughout the entire company, and we would scan things like um, items as they're going on mail skids. Well, let's say suddenly the customer calls, and this is critical financial data, and says, oops, 
we found a problem. And we say, okay, we go into the system and say, stop that package from shipping. But the guy at the post office is coming over. But it's only two minutes to sync the data. Too late, he took it. So you really have to worry about, you know, depending on the kind of organization and how the application functions, what's the best strategy for how you're going to sync your data to support that? There's not, the way, that I don't think there's here. just a magic answer. Just a black helicopter is coming to get us for talking about Outlook. <laughs> I mean, I think latency is just inherent into the overall application architecture. Anything that's going to scale is going to have some latency, good or bad. Yes. But I'll, I also want to, you know, as much as I work on our occasionally connected stuff and our offline and sync and storage and all this stuff, I don't think it's just about that. I think that's one of the hardest pieces that we have to figure out how to solve. But it's just about how do I have code on, on the client working? And because that's what all that, whether it be the UI code or the validation code or the data code or, you know, let me open up my pictures and view them with, you know, video and so forth. And you say, why do people term. use ASP.NET behind the firewall? One of the reasons is because that model is already there. there for you. That, you know, you don't have to reinvent anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we, we haven't got to the developer productivity thing yet. Are, are, are we, well, right. Do you want to cross that line no, now? No, but absolutely. I mean, no, we're, no, we're no, explaining about these challenges, but because uh, I personally, wait, let's stay on Outlook for for one more minute. Okay. I, <laughs> I just couldn't let it go. Yeah, yeah. I'm so hung up. I know the lead uh, PM for OA on the Exchange teams. Good friend of mine. He'd die if I said his name. Do you know how many people it took and how long to build OA? Yeah. I shouldn't say it out loud, but it's thousands and years. Yeah. Do you know that there's a guy, there's a very talented Microsoft guy who essentially builds Outlook in a wind forms in a session on the screen. Yep. yep. Just drag an and hour. drop. Click, 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 click. Thanks for playing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's a huge developer productivity story here, short of the metrics by which we define smart client technology. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, one of the best parts of your scripts story, that, that crazy molecular uh, uh, biology the, app. The cancer app. Yeah. The cancer app is how fast you got it built. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's and that you could do it. There, there's, there's another thing. You just, there's so much yeah. you can do in a browser. Right. And you cannot do 3D in the browser. Right. Just, sure. right. Well, and yeah. Okay, so should we say Silverlight? No, I well, we haven't crossed that bridge. No, yet. we yeah. haven't yeah. crossed that bridge. What is you know? What do you think of Silverlight? Is uh, I look at as we're delivering a client, a smart client app, Absolutely. through the browser. I right. totally agree with you. Yeah, and just we're going and in we've circles. Had this discussion. No, no, and, I, and if, so years ago, I hate to just go off into a story. Years ago, we're going to talk about ActiveX and Java <laughs> applets. And, <laughs> years ago, I had what about green screens and mainframes and the old browser and all. We can keep on apps. going. Or I had this customer. It was a university. And they had mandated no Internet Explorer on their machines. You know, that's that that's era, remember? When it, when it was the Windows 95 era. Mm-hmm. And they were terrified of deployment. We had all of those sorts of problems. And so I built them a VB-based application and rolled it out. And it looked like a WIMPORM. It worked just fine. They were happy. But they never had deployment problems. Every time we needed to update, it was no big deal. Because actually, the only thing that was in the VB app was... An IE right. frame. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I realized what they hated was the icon, right? Not the program, right? So we were able to get rid of the IE icon and create the the smart client Sweet. icon. But that's all that was in that form was this IE window, and then we built the web page to look like uh, the battleship gray, you know, dialogue oriented app. There were some yeah. things we couldn't do. You couldn't be modal. You know, there right. we, we couldn't we get couldn't to the disk. We couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't be disconnected, but 
deployment was a breeze. Updates were phenomenal and they were happy. I mean, we ultimately solved the problem, but Silverlight to me is it's we, we've it's the almost, opposite now. We've now done. I need that IE icon yeah, on yes. the WinForum app to have the company. I'd be like right. every day at lunch. Could be my tell Firefox icon. Should we tell? Should we tell? Wow. I'd be like every day at lunch. Should we tell now? Should we tell? <laughs> no, 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 we never no, tell. No, we never. So, so realize <laughs> this. You guys might find this shocking too. Uh, we are building XBAP applications for companies mm-hmm. who have web-only mandates. Yep. Yeah. And what's XBAP? It's a WPF app it runs wrapped in the, in the browser. Right. But it still has... So you've got the full click, deployment thing. Click once. But yeah. they so have a web-only... Web yeah, web-only. Right. And, and it breaks the boundaries of Silverlight in the sense that you can do... For example, one very famous version, which is not the classic line of business application, is the British Library Museum. And they have this beautiful 3D rendering of these manuscripts. And you just can't do that in Silverlight, at least right. not today. Not yet. Plus, you can, you know, break the, you can take advantage of local resources as well because you can trust that app, et cetera. And that's, and that's one of the challenges. I think what um, Steve was hitting on, the notion of you know, people love Office. Well, people like to have their apps integrate with Office, push to Excel, these kinds of things. Those are things that are difficult to do in the browser, right? I mean, you can have a, you could try to create some kind of, you know, Ajax app that pushes back to the server that creates an Excel and pulls it back, but it's not going to give you the same integration story of opening Word, for example, on my desktop, pushing stuff in, templates, etc. I mean, you, we, you know, we can obviously achieve, and there's a trust boundary there that Office is running as the full trust of the user, and the yep. Silverlight apps aren't, and so forth. And I think it's just a matter of time for some of that connectivity happens. Hey, this is Carl, just taking a minute with a message from our friends at Telerik. Do you know how to build Web 2.0 Ajax applications with Web 1.0 components? That's right, you just can't. In order to have next-generation web apps, you need next-generation components, and that's exactly what Telerik has done. Their RAD Controls for ASP.NET Ajax suite is a huge pack of web controls built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, which will add previously impossible performance and interactivity to your next project. Just listen to this. The new controls mirror the ASP.NET Ajax API, so development is straightforward. Client scripts are shared, so loading time is pretty much instant. And if you just set a couple properties you'll be able to automatically bind to web services for even more efficient operation. After all, facts speak for themselves. The new RAD editor for ASP.NET Ajax loads up to four times faster than before. Similarly, RAD Grid handles thousands of records in mere milliseconds. So visit Telerik.com slash ASP.NET Ajax right now and download a trial. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So we've been spending a lot of time traveling around a customer, uh, doing customer visits. And every one of them we're visiting are just have these really cool, immersive desktop, you know, client. I don't want to say necessarily desktop, whether it be things in trucks that, tr- yeah, you can't travel around this country without a package not being delivered through some of our technologies that we're shipping. Right. Or, uh, medical or, you know, like Tim was doing here with the cancer stuff. And the reality is there's a ton of applications. So they've got to make over that churn. Yep. That the pain versus gain is there. I think we need to do a lot better job around making our client technologies easier to deploy. But the the business, the world is you know the, the country, the world is running on these client applications, yes. but nobody can see them. Yeah, you can't yeah. go to the website and go, look, mom, look what I just built. Why aren't we? And it's not as it doesn't feel as sexy. And you said this early on, this whole you know 
you should never be running a web app inside the firewall. Why can't we? There's, I can't see any reason why we can't run smart clients over the firewall too, because they we speak do. just as cro- oh, easily absolutely. HTTP as anything else. Absolutely. And and to be fair, also Microsoft and uh, .NET three five SP one made it a lot easier to deploy when they lifted the security restrictions on the local network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So there, that was the big problem with, with smart clients on the LAN inside the firewall even. Oh, and I mean, when, and, and what you just mentioned, I mean, with smart client software factory and with, you know, we've always been pushing that notion that, hey, use web services, right? They can pass right, across right. the firewall and you can do that today. And, I mean, and what are web services? They're web pages without UI. Yeah. So using the web these clients <laughs> that can communicate because when I'm trying to get data, why do I need to have the same UI shown again and yeah, again yeah. and again? The data is new, the UI isn't. So you know, WCF web services, the REST-based APIs we're doing with the Adio.NET data services, Astoria. You know, those are all ways that we can simplify those web communications to these client applications, so they can be. It doesn't matter where they're connected. You know, because it, 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 even inside the corporate firewall, they're still using the same restrictions many times that I have outside the firewall. They don't differentiate. But so the only real pain point I feel here is deployment. Yeah. Is that really all that's holding us up? Well, I, I, I think there's still there's still challenges on the server. Don't don't you know? I mean, there 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 is the client, right? But there's the client is communicating with something, yes. right? I send a message. It didn't get processed. There was some kind of exception, or I'm waiting on a response in an asynchronous manner. It doesn't come back. There's mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of things that you know beyond just the client when you're building these offline apps. The client is just a piece of the. So story. when you're talking about your smart client factory, and yeah. I, uh, to be honest, have not gone deeply enough into it to know sure. all of the answers to these things, but tell me that part of the infrastructure there is to support dealing with those kinds of exceptions. That well, it. I mean, essentially what the Smart Client Software Factory has is two major components. It has a, a, a connection monitor, right. which allow, which is a very simple thing that just was not in the .NET framework, which allows an application to monitor offline, online status and get notifications. Very easy. You can wire up and get events, et cetera. With the, this is with the cost-based stuff, yep. right? So it's with not just, yep. again, with these trucking yep. companies, they've got GPRS, satellite, yep. Wi-Fi, G- satellite is the most expensive. Sure. GPRS is pretty damn expensive. They're all pretty low bandwidth. Wi-Fi is fast and you cheap. Know, really cheap, but not very often available. Right. So they do software updates over Wi-Fi, and they do you know critical data of these expensive ones. So how exactly? Like that? The, so the second like part of it is, and which goes into what Steve was saying, is what we call the disconnected service agent. Mm-hmm. And the disconnected service agent is this thing that keeps track of the cost and says, "Hey, I've got to send a message to the server." Right? Maybe um, a customer is requiring some information and I'm out somewhere where I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I got I'm, not, nothing. I'm not connected. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, well, in this case, though, the way we push the disconnected service agent is not so much for the same stories that SQL Sync is covering, which is give me data now. It's more like this is something that needs to happen when I connect. I, right. can, I need to have my local data store so I can function. Disconnected service agent is not going to help me there. But right. what it will do is it will queue up requests. And it will take stock of these different cost factors that have been associated with the different connections and say, okay, well, if, you're, if I'm at a connection which is equal to a certain cost, I can send this message. And as soon as I come into a range where I'm suddenly now connected, it will go and it will play back those messages, and then it will play back the responses locally when it gets those responses back. So it helps with that aspect of it, which is it queues up requests, those requests will go to the server. After that, it doesn't, I mean, it will do some exception management, but there's still a bunch you've got to do on your own. And, and Smart Client Software Factory does not touch the server. So it doesn't solve this server problem. It basically right. solves the client problem 
relating to off. But it looks like you're really creeping closer towards... Remember when we were talking about, you said, uh, why do people use ASP.NET inside the firewall? And I said, well, it's because all that, all that goo is there. It just works. And all the goo that does the plumbing of the communication exactly. and the UI separation, it's all done. It seems to me this is where you guys are going. You really want that experience for the smart client for, so all the goo is done so that it just Exactly. So we address some of the threading concerns and things. So as a developer, I don't really have to worry about it. I yeah. just basically call something, and if the server's available, it goes to the server. If not, it sits there waiting. Well, an but ability you still to write to that know. chunk of code that says, if connected. Just, right. That's a hard and some question to answer. It's just too hard. Yeah. That's basically Absolutely. what it comes down to. Yeah. It's Absolutely. too hard. But, 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 but that's a question too, right? So we're working around the current framework, and the idea is why does it have to be hard? Yeah, like if right. we know that it's something that really is happening all the time, we should support it in a way that as a developer, I just have to write one line of code. Right. Right? Here's my destination. Here's some behavior of how I want it to happen. We're filling in that gap because there was nothing that existed. It's just like we don't use HTTP directly anymore. Exactly. We should get to that same place with the smart client. Uh, other things that we don't know about the smart client factory? Can we can we get there? But I Sure. We... I mean... Yeah. Yes. Let me take the question. Hold on. We got a question from the audience. Richard is... There's a good looking questionnaire out. there. <laughs> it's Richard, Kent you mentioned only yeah. moments ago that the, the, is the only difference deployment. Can you tell me about the future deployment? I've seen absolutely wonderful FT, uh, uh, WPF apps. And I just, it seems like the barrier is clearly deployment in my world. Yep. But I just like, where is the future of that? Is that barrier going away? How are you going to address that? Because do, you, do you want the non-Microsoft guy to take this? Yeah, why don't you go for it? I'll for fear of losing your jobs? Uh, <laughs> one, yeah. one might speculate, Ken. <laughs> one might speculate, if you're really talking roadmap, that you know these, these two technologies will converge and we're going to have the entire .NET framework available in a browser type thing, they, I mean, you can uh, you can only speculate on where Microsoft's going with this. They made, they made, I don't know if there I is would go that far. I think there's a difference because I think there's there's inherent limitations to the browser from a user interface to specific. Those black helicopters using, are back, man. See there's also did. limitations in uh, what is it, a hundred and fifty meg. There's that .net framework. Well, but one yeah, thing but, that's but that we should mention on us. I think I think it's like touched on a great point. I think the the separation I want to make is. The browser is the presentation model versus the browser as the deployment mechanism. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good point. So that that's the only differentiation I want to make. So I think that they're the framework and, and, and the technologies and to support Tim's point. Yeah. You did the hard thing when you got the CLR across the wire. Yeah. yeah. All the rest is inevitable. I think yeah. everybody pretty much. Yeah. I'm aware. Nobody's going to talk about it. But come on. One might speculate. Yeah. yeah. It could happen. It could happen. I mean, why can't we trickle the .NET framework? Yeah. Well, we, why are we limited to the Look at, so look what we just released in, or are releasing, with SP1. Um, something we internally call it Arrowhead. Um, right. right. I don't know if we're allowed to call it externally, but I am. So whatever. Uh, if you look at client Visual profile. Studio, <laughs> the client profile, thank you. <laughs> if you look at Visual Studio 2008 SP1 uh, on the, I think it's the Click Once Publish page, or no, it's the Build page, or somewhere in the Build properties, there's a place that says Target the Client Platform uh, Framework or something. Yep. And that's about yep. taking our client bits. WPF, WinForms, and that functionality, and getting it down to the client as quick as possible and getting to that first pixel as fast as possible. And the rest of it can actually trickle does down. I mean, in that case, it does trickle down, but it gets the initial bits that you need to get going. Um, the, the other thing, though, that's interesting is even when you talk about Silverlight, there is even an incremental deployment story there, which is the idea that you'll get a core set of assemblies that will come down with the initial install 
and then over time you'll be able to incrementally push stuff in. Um, I'm actually going to be leaving the Patterns and Practices team and going to a new team called the Managed Extensibility Framework. We're also going to be looking at Silverlight and seeing, you know, what is there an extensibility story? Interesting. Interesting. And I don't know if I'm actually mm. supposed to mention that. Probably not. Nice. I'm glad Brad you did, Abrams though. will probably be emailing me. <laughs> we're going to hear for Brad on that one. Yeah. I said we're looking at it. I don't. Know. Why has Click Once just not taken off? Like I'm so uh, frustrated. Or has it? I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is the same. I mean, Tim can talk to us from what he's doing with consulting, but. As I'm talking to customers, I think it's the problem is you can't see it. So it is being used. We just don't see it. So The sophisticated companies, I, I think Microsoft hurt itself, honestly, with the deploy through Visual Studio. No enterprise is going to let you deploy from Visual Studio. Right. Network people deploy applications, not developers. Mm-hmm. So the real sophisticated uh, enterprise companies and ISVs build their own click-once deployment applications but they use the framework classes for ClickOnce to do it. I, I think that's part of the adoption problem. When we shipped what we call RTM, the first version, you know, we didn't have this ClickOnce functionality. Jamie Cool and some other folks created some technologies to allow you to do to deploy them with framework class libraries, assembly load from it, a bunch of others. ClickOnce has taken on a lot of adoption. Uh, when you have people that are how to write stuff, you know, Billy Hollis is always a great example. Billy wasn't happy with what we shipped, so he built his own. Right. We built the yep. stuff that did what he did, but there wasn't enough compelling reason for him to switch. Because he'd already made that commitment to his own code. Exactly. And let me so customers that are starting today, now. Visual Studio 2005, when we ship Click Once, there are switching to that. Right. I've got a, a, some customers we talked to that they're using SMS to deploy their stuff. And they get it pushed out, but they don't know if it actually was installed. Because yeah. they get bad error reporting. So they are switching to Click Once. So I think... Look at SharePoint. How many years we've been shipping SharePoint, and now it's the hottest thing. Yeah, well, really, it's the same thing. Yeah. No, <laughs> and it's, but we shipped it Who several made years that ago. Not, not really a smart an, client app, though. Well, it's a different, it's a different <laughs> twist there. But I think the point is, there's a. But. We at Microsoft think that every time we ship something, or not just Microsoft, certainly at this event, sometimes that three months later, of course they shouldn't. If they didn't adopt it three months later, there must be a problem. Yeah, it takes customers a Long. bit of time. To adopt some of this, yeah. So what, we see this the, with Click Once, we see this with the Sync stuff, we see this with you know SharePoint and others, and I think it's just we got to give it a little time to to stabilize. I don't know if you're going here, Tim, but I think Scripts apps like the one of the only examples I've seen of SharePoint as part of a smart client app. Uh, well, it used to be a year and a half. It used to be. So mm-hmm. let me let me give you another. It used to business. be the only one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we, we we led the world in that wild right. application paradigm. But let me give you another business scenario, SharePoint, that I think is intensely compelling. Uh, DPE, developer and platform evangelism, they're all over the world. Inside there's, of Microsoft. There's legions of these people. We just built these folks an app <laughs> that uh, is a smart client. It's WPF, front-end for all the DPE content, whether it be an arsenal or a number of SharePoint servers, and they have a gazillion of them in Microsoft inside their firewall, it allows you this smart client, and we use your bits, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. Okay. <laughs> uh, it allows you to search for content. So I'm a DPE guy. I want to, um, I don't know, I want to give a talk on VB.net to a customer, and I search VB.net, and it gives me a, a plethora Right, but I can't. I can't check in, check out, download fifty PowerPoint decks that are over ten megs. I click, I preview them using the Vista Preview uh, API, and if I, yeah, that's the one I want. I click it, 
right? I go down, preview, click, 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 and I either schedule the download or I just click download. It's going into his bits, right? All the stuff's going. What are down. his bits you're talking? Yeah, about? which which bits? The, the, the sync bits. Yeah, the sync bits. Oh, or, the, or compact. The, the compact. Which does compact. what? SQL uh, Server Compact. So oh, it's oh. pulling all this stuff out of SharePoint, right? Yeah. I'm getting local copies. Well, you know, it might take who knows, twenty minutes, an hour to download. But when I go to the customer in the morning, I've got it. I've got it right there. Disconnected. I don't need a network connection. I've got all that stuff out of SharePoint. I think that's a, a perfect example. Wow, the disconnected SharePoint model. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention, too, about the deployment story is we actually did do some things around deployment in the Smart Client Software Factory with ClickOnce. And okay. Brian Noyce from iDesign actually yep. did a great job helping us they, they, in that they, area. They click once. Book guy. I mean, yeah, the guru. Yeah, the book guy. guy. The book guy. I don't know if he wants to be called that. Yeah, he's the <laughs> book guy. He's the prism guy these well, days. But we basically, what we did was, you know, in a, you talked about one of the differences about what are the other things that Smart Client offers. And normally when we look at Smart Clients, we connect them with composite applications, which are apps that are pulling from multiple different systems together in, in one place. Right. And that requires these things we call modules, which are the components of that application. And what happens is, is with a smart client app, you know, if you take Dell, for example, they built this thing called the integrated Dell desktop, which they didn't build on cab or on smart client, but it was one of the fathers, you could say, that, you know, was, was the drivers for it. They had about 40 different at legacy systems and apps they all consolidated into this one workspace. But depending on who the user is, there's different things they need to see. Right. So what we did is we built overclick once to allow you to incrementally deploy just the pieces, just the modules on demand. The optional that you download need, That you need, exactly. Yeah. So this is your app. This is not the framework, right? But your app is broken up into, say, 50 modules. I'm a user who only you know, needs three or four of them, right. I'll get those. And the other thing it allows you to do, and this is very interesting from a deployment story, is it allows you to do staged deployments. So we want to upgrade, you know, we've got 50,000 workstations, for example, in a very large enterprise, and we want to stage out to about 5,000 of them without touching, you know, without having to modify any of their code. Essentially, we can, we have a um, profile catalog web service and that web service can say, okay, you're in group so-and-so, mm -hmm. great, you need to get these bits. Everybody else, just work the way you're working. Nice. And it can actually download the bits and bring them live at a certain date. Wow, that's very cool. Well, that's I, that's I mean, awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. And, now, and I'm thinking more and more we're seeing this sort of smart plug-in model where our apps are modular and we mm -hmm. get exactly. the bits as we go. And one of the benefits of that has got to be this... It, you know, lightning of the install and the ability to add installation capabilities over time. So ClickOnce exactly. actually has some of you know, these optional download routes. So you can, and you can requisition it. You're, you didn't buy the accounting package, so you're not going to be authorized right. to download that group and so forth. So it's a way to streamline what you get downloaded from a speed or a functionality because you haven't paid for it. It's just you're never going to use it, so why download it? But it also right. strikes me that now we don't, it's almost like my university description where it's now we never update, we never replace the core app. Yes. But what I'm trying to get away from is that 
deploy that second deployment breaking moment. The app worked, yeah. now it doesn't. Yes. If, and if all it is is plugins, and the only thing that could break is the, the next plugins. plugin, yes. at least you were able to do what you were able to do yesterday. You can't do what right. you wanted to do tomorrow. And, and that is the core of what we do in patterns and practices in the client program cab and the smart client software factory is completely about, you know, it's the off the occasional connectivity story, it's the deployment story, and right. it's that ability to break up your apps into these different plugins that you mentioned. I also really love the fact that you can go back and use a version previously that worked. Yeah. 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 And look at the browser that. Making that an innate feature so that everybody can always revert. It's not something IT has to initiate. Yeah. Or right. It's user like empowerment. That. It's total user empowerment. Sure. Just get me back to where I was yesterday. Sure. That's Just all I want. update the profile catalog and yeah. say when these people come in, put them back. One thing the I'd like to see of, of ClickOnce is more findability of that program. Where is that program installed, actually? Well, yeah, that's up to the user, right? Because it's well, it's a start menu entry. It is a start menu entry, but you know, if you want to go looking for the bin folder where you know because your application creates some files or something, yeah, we don't really know where that stuff is. But why do you need to? Do you know where? They, don't do tell know? me that. Well, no, I need to. I can actually tell you exactly where it is, and there is code that'll tell you. Yeah. So there's an app. There's an API yeah. uh, application for WinForms. It's you know system.windows.forms that application that startup path, and that'll take you right there. Okay. Um, so it's in the user's profile directory absolutely. somewhere. Because that's the whole beauty of ClickOnce is it's per-user, non-admin installation. One set of bits should not destroy another. I mean, look what you do about a browser. I go to a browser, I navigate to a page. I don't worry about clicking on this page where well, this other page maybe won't work anymore. Well, that's browser code, though. You know, like well, smart, smart client code writes files, um, you know, creates great stuff. Sometimes I want to know where that stuff is. Well, but yeah. what happens when you cache, when you run a browser page? It is writing files. It is putting that JavaScript on the page. Well, it's doing that. I'm not doing that as a developer. I'm not writing to the local disk on a, in a web app. But I am doing that in a smart client. So I, I think I think it's an interesting question from a developer. There's definitely APIs right. that tell you exactly where it is, where your application directory is, where your data directory is. Um, but from a user, do you care? And as long as the apps are doing the right thing, the, if there's something well, wrong... Let me tell you the scenario. The scenario has been, um, I give somebody a ClickOnce app, they're creating an MP3 file. Yeah. Now they need to copy that MP3 file to their little thing, you know? Right. Where is it? Uh, where is it? I can't tell them. I'm like, dude, I, I don't know. I don't know where it is. <laughs> Honestly, it's on your so desk where did you We've got Windows desktop. desktop. I just wrote it in the application directory. Uh, in my local directory where the exe is. Okay, so well, you can Steve you can tell them exactly where to get But Steve, yeah, what I should have done, what I should have done is put it in the My Documents folder or something like that. You could do user. that. Or when the user wants it, say, well, where do you want to copy it? If you want to put that UI in your app, copy two, and then sure. you know where to go grab that Yeah, or you can just display the path. I mean, you can yeah. read the path at runtime where that's the application true. is. Uh, I don't know if the user wants to see this long, gooded path that I'm still surprised fits in the, in the link. Right. All right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you set me straight on that one <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's a non-issue. Yeah. It is it's, a non-issue. But, it's, but I think it's an interesting point of what Tim was talking before is discoverability. Yeah. You know, right. some of the stuff is, there's so much focus on it. it, it you know, we, we rat, up, it got, rat it up and it's easy. Well, they spend enough time looking. People look at client apps going, man, that's just too hard. I don't want to bother. I'm just going to do a, right. a browser app. And as right. long as we and but we keep on improving the browser apps because users want more functionality. Yeah, right. Um, so how do we balance stability and ease of deployment and and st- stability of the machine because I'm doing browser apps 
when if I install a client app, uh, what else is going to stop working? I mean, yeah. and part and of that's what I think we have to do more of. And and I and we are doing that in many places. You know, we've done that with Click once. We have to get the framework. Yeah. We've done that with prerequisites, sort of, but they need admins. Uh, with SQL Server Compact, we specifically target the non-admin deployed scenarios, including 64-bit and 32-bit. So we're allowing users to deploy those components. And, and that's something we're pushing. And to Tim's point, I don't know if I would go exactly the way you put it, but I think the vision is there, is how do we get these bits through the browser? So I can click a link. It might be a SharePoint link that I click on, but when I click on that link, my application lights up locally, uh, and it's running in a rich client functionality. And any dependencies I need can be installed even if I'm locked down on my machine because it's just me. It's right. just my account. It's not doesn't affect you know somebody else you know that's using that same machine. Uh, that would be the beauty. Right, and I, I think I think part of the challenge too is you know like if you if you hurt me, it takes time. I, I time for me to forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> the reality of it is that you know a lot of the IT pros and you know guys out there who are the admins and stuff are are, are the ones who can make that decision. We're going to use this or we're not going to use this. And if they've had a bad per- experience or a bad perception then they may just be like, well, you know, we're going to wait. So once they see that really this is a viable alternative. So I think yeah. there's more we can do, too, yeah. reach out to these folks and let them know that, look, we, you know, it's not what you remember, you know, five years ago. It's, it's, it's gotten much better. Right. Perception Excellent. is reality, though. Yes. I mean, that's something Absolutely. we have to be very sensitive about. We well, guys, we're that. just about out of time. Uh, is there anything, last minute, plugs, hi, mom, anything else <laughs> you want to say? Why do you go, Tim? We'll start the other Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, Mark. That's my 12-year-old. <laughs> uh, just we are. I mean, these are great problems. I think you know, yeah. we are. I think we're trying to solve them. I think that there is a balance between uh, what we're trying to do with Serverlight. We're trying to do with the full framework, or the, the framework and the functionality of the client. Um, then we'll continue to turn on. Well, and we'll and it's interesting to me. Easier. Smart Client Factory is fairly new. There's some key functionality in, in SP1 of 2008. Yes. Like this is a current problem being addressed right now. Yes. If any perception you have about smart clients has been altered in the past couple of months, yeah. it's worth going well, back. The one, and, the, and the thing that's changing now as well, I mean, as people are moving towards WPF, you know, building offline enabled apps in WPF has new challenges. Yes. And has a lot of capabilities to help you in terms of like the, you know, one of the big things you talk about with offline is threading. So the dispatcher, for example, that's built in WPF helps you to deal with a lot of the UI thread type issues. Yeah. Um, the last plug, I guess I'll say for us is, you know, we're about to ship a new set of guidance um, the end of June called the um, Composite Application Guidance. And this is for nice. WPF. Now, this is not the full-blown SCSF in terms of having all the smart client software factory. But this is for building composite applications in WPF. And we are addressing some of the UI threaded-related issues and loose communication on the client that would help you when data gets pushed down, for example, from the server. How do I notify the rest of my UI? So if anybody's interested in that, they can go to codeplex.com slash prism, which is the code name. But the real name will be this composite application guidance. Fabulous. I think that's a show. Guys, right. thanks for having me. Tim Huckley, Steve Lasser, going back. Thank you, guys. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. 
online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 